House Podcast Radio. With Eric Houston and Evan Elliott. What's up, man? What up, man? New Year. Happy belated New Year, man. Welcome to 2023. First day house of the New Year. I'm always excited on this occasion. Yes, sir. We're going to have it right this year, man. We got a lot to get into this year, bro. It's going to be mm-hmm. epic. Now, before we even did this is something I didn't even tell you I wanted to do. I just wanted to throw this in there for a quick sec before we get to our regularly scheduled talks. Cut out there for a second. Yep, you bet. All right. Uh, I think I speak for what I was saying is I think I speak for you and me both when I said that our thoughts and prayers are with Demar Hamlin and his family. Yes. Um, we've read very encouraging news, or at least I have, that he is up and breathing. Apparently, had a FaceTime with his teammates. Yeah. Uh, so that's obviously great news because Eric, I got to tell you. I was watching this game live, and I'm watching it the first time, and I'm thinking this kid hit his head. Like, you know, you watch the play. I think that's what everyone thought in the yeah. replay. It's like, oh, he took a nasty hit to the head, so it's a concussion. Yeah. Um, turns out it would have been a lot better had that been what it was. Um, and it turns out the kid's heart just stopped beating on the field. In what was the most scary way I've ever seen a player go down. And I'll never forget seeing them come back from commercial. And I heard the announcer. I mean, first of all, I just heard how quiet the stadium was. When they came back and I heard that the the silence was deafening. And then they say that he's receiving CPR. And at that moment, I thought, oh, my God, this is life and death. Yeah. This is is real. And, you know (laughs) – the, the DeMar thing kind of leads to a quick side ramp, and, and I think you'll agree, and then I'll just pass it to you. This won't even take me two minutes to say. But, you know, I there, there was a brief moment, Eric, where I had some really strong hope in humanity because I watched Bills and Bengals players alike just, like, comfort each other. I mean, we all right. saw it. Like, it wasn't, all it wasn't the, about football in that moment. No, everybody's on one knee, everybody's hugging, everybody's crying, everybody's praying. It's, it, it was almost a beautiful thing to see. Um, you know, I hated the circumstance that surrounding it, but just seeing that moment of unity was really beautiful. And then there was a lot of unity on social media for about five minutes. Um, yeah. Because immediately after, I, I mean, it's, it's just amazing how social media – has convinced us that there's got to be a villain. Like immediately after this happened, people immediately, oh, this is because of the NFL and helmets. Or there's there's some conspiracy theorists out there blaming the vaccine. There's some people yes, out just some shitty people, man. There's some people out there even trying to blame T. Higgins, which next to DeMar Hamlin, there's nobody in his family, there's no one I feel worse for right now than T. Higgins. 
I feel he, so I feel so bad for him. And he, he was the one he was the one getting tackled. So I'm yeah, like, he no. did nothing wrong. Like T, we all right. agree. All football fans know T Higgins. He's innocent. He did absolutely nothing wrong except play football. Yeah. And, you know, Eric, the sad reality is of football, because there's a lot of people just bashing the game in general. And I'm just like, look, football is a violent game. Yeah. And I just thank God that what happened to DeMar Hamlin is not common. This is, We've never seen anything like this happen before. Never. Never. Um, so, you know, it, it's just – it was disappointing for me – to see how quick people wanted to turn this into a, like, someone's got to be, we, we've got to be mad at somebody. Like, somebody, yeah. it's got to be somebody's fault what happened to DeMar Hamlin. Yeah. Inst- instead of just looking at it and saying, this was just a terrible situation. Yeah. Nobody's at fault here. This was just a freak accident. It was just bad, man. Th- th- this was just, like, reality. Yeah, and it kind of made me remind myself for half a moment. I thought about my mortality while I'm watching the game, not to make it negative, but I was just watching, thinking like, "Man, we really do take life for granted." Yeah, we really do, because I'm watching that 24 year old player. One minute he's playing the game he loves, and the next minute he's in a fight for his life. Right. But, you know, overall, shout out to the doctors at Cincinnati. They're the real heroes and the first responders. Big shout out to them. What they did springing into action made all the difference. When when seconds mattered, they stepped up. You know, big shout out to them. Yeah. Uh, And and shout out to all first responders across the country that make make this country somewhat safer to live in. But um, absolutely. But overall, bro, just prayers for DeMar Hamlin. I didn't know if you had anything you wanted to say about it. Um, just that, you know, I understand, like, like you said, every, every social media has made it come to the fact that, you know, there has to be some villain or somebody to be mad at. And, um, you know, I, I kind of, I just wanted to say this piece. I kind of feel like, um, you know, people, and I understand Skip Bayless is, is crazy. Is, he can be a lot. I understand that. I do. Um, at the same time, I do, I'm, uh, I may be, con- I'm not trying to be controversial, but I understand what Skip Bayless was trying to say in his tweet. However, however, I do understand the outrage because of what, what, um, you know, when that's somebody dying, like, dude. How many times can you count on your fingers? Have we had someone die on the football field? You can't even, I mean, you're not even going to be able to use two hands for that. So this was something that was unprecedented and something that was beyond any of the most scariest injuries that we've seen. This is death. They had to resuscitate him. Twice. So twice. So I understand what Skip was saying. Like, yes, that was the biggest primetime Monday night game of the year. I understand that. And him saying that, you know, now that game, which all, I guess it was the tone of it that people were upset with, which I'm like. I think it was just poorly worded. I think that, I mean, I'm actually with you on this one. And anybody that watches this podcast knows that neither of us are, are fans of Skip Bayless. Yeah, I, I, can't, I can't stand him. I think he's a professional troll. 
But having said that, I think in this case, there's a lot of people trying to accuse him of saying something he didn't say. That he didn't say. And if and, and while I don't like Skip Bayless, if you're going to crucify a man, let's crucify a man over something that he actually said. Like, like, like if, yeah. we're, if we're going to cancel somebody, let's cancel them over things that they blatantly said. Right. And I, I think people were just looking for an excuse to try to bam on Skip because, I mean, he already had one foot dug in the grave when he um, uh, insulted Shannon Sharp for speaking facts about Tom Brady, about Brady oh, not yeah. playing the greatest this year. And then he goes and takes personal shots at Shannon, you know, talking about his Hall of Fame career and his three Super Bowls like they were nothing. And I'm like, dude, that's one of the greatest tight ends to ever live that you're talking to. And you just insult him like that. And so I think people were more upset over that. But, I mean, of course, the tweet, you know, didn't help. And uh, should he delete it? I mean, that's on him because everyone's allowed to have their own opinion and their thought. However, you know, I mean, like I said, we understood what he was saying, what he was saying, but it was poorly worded and it uh, it lacked sympathy because, I mean, the first thing on my mind when I saw DeMar Hamlin collapse, when I turned on the game and I just saw the stadium being quiet, I'm like, what the heck is going on here? And then they talked about DeMar uh, and showed him fainting. I was just like, my heart sank and my head just went to my, my head went to my hands and I'm like, dude, no, not like not in the NFL game, like not like this, you know what I'm saying? And I'm like unprecedented. So the business and this being the most primetime game of, of the year, you know, really doesn't take, I mean, it takes no precedence. The NFL is going to make that money up. They were back playing Kansas city and Las Vegas today. And the, the chiefs put on a show and they honored DeMar Hamlin before the game. So, I mean, the NFL is not concerned about that, but the last thing anyone should have been saying was something about the game. You know what I'm saying? When someone's dying. But glad DeMar's doing better. Glad that he is uh, on his way to recovery. And, and I, play, I pray whatever he decides to do that he's happy, and I, I, I would hope to see him on the field again if, if, that's, in the, if that's in the cards for him. So. Oh, yeah. Hey, I just wanted to get I, – I figured we'd be remiss if we didn't just take a moment to shout out DeMar Hamlin before moving on. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You had the right thought. You had the right thought. Well, now that we had that nice moment of unity, now we can start with our first rant of 2023 because we're not even two weeks already giving us our first headache for the new year. Couldn't even couldn't even wait until three weeks. No, Eric, we got to start two weeks in. Warner Brothers and James Gunn are giving us new headaches. New. Every and day. For anybody that doesn't know, um, that hasn't been following, Jason Momoa, Gal Gadot, I'm assuming Ben Affleck. I haven't heard any official word on him. Uh, and, but Henry Cobble definitively, the yes. three we, we know of definitively, Cobble, Gadot, and Momoa, they're gone. Uh, they're gone, gone. I, I'm not. Is I don't know if Aquaman two has been officially canceled. No, that's still gonna drop. Lost Kingdom is still going to drop. So we're gonna get Aquaman two, and then after that, that's it with Jason Momoa. That's it. Great. So another pointless movie. Um, 
But Gal Gadot, we're not getting another Wonder Woman. That the third one was axed along yeah. with Batgirl and everything else. Um, and Henry Cavill with the biggest nothing burger. I mean, th- this is the biggest nothing burger since Evan Peters in WandaVision. Yeah. I re- I'll never forget that. He shows up. Everybody about had a conniption. I mean, we had a whole... I mean, good Lord, dude. I think that, that was back during COVID, so we probably spent three J-House episodes on what Evan Peters in WandaVision means. Yeah. That was back when we were scraping for something to talk about. <clears throat> Man, they, those were rough days. They were rough. Oh, we made it though. Yeah. But back on what I was saying, um, where did I stop? Wonder Woman? Yep. No, Henry Cobble. Henry Cobble. The Nothing Burger. Yes, Black Adam flopped. Kind of like I thought it would. I, I didn't have a lot of hype in this movie. But, you know, Henry Cobble shows up and everybody's losing their marbles over it. It's trending on Twitter. I think while the film is still in theaters, I don't even think it fully made it to HBO Max and we get the word that Henry Cobble's not really coming back. Yeah. Like, you couldn't even wait for the movie to make it to streaming. And we find out while the movie's in theaters that the post credit scene is nothing. It means nothing. And if that's not bad enough, Eric... We get to our new headache of the day. Now, one thing I have been on this show is on one topic, one thing I've been very consistent on. I don't like Ezra Miller as Flash. I yeah. do I do not. Never have. Never have. I didn't like him in Justice League. I didn't yeah. like him in ZSJL. I sent you today. I said minus the one scene with him falling on Wonder Woman's chest. And they did add the the cool scene at the end with him, like, talking to his dad. You know, I'm one of the best. That was kind of cool. But for the, yeah. most, for the most part, Flash is a goofball. He's a giant goofball. He's the comic relief character. Hard, yeah. Hardcore. He is. And I, I love Zack Snyder. But this is the one area where I, I've got to say, Zack, you and Josh both dropped the ball on this one with Ezra because Flash is not a 19 year old kid he's a grown man works for the police station forensic analyst forensic analyst huge part of who he is but no in this one he's got to be dollar store Tom Holland Mm. let's call it what it is Eric that's what they're trying to do they want their own Tom Holland I understand why Tom Holland makes a lot of money for Marvel, and he's a phenomenal Spider-Man. But Barry Allen is not Tom Holland. And it's very frustrating to see them try and do that. But I digress. Now Now we get word that Flash, Ezra Miller, despite everything that's been going on with him, all the criminal charges... Despite all that, despite many people's feelings towards him as Flash, you know, they're keeping him. And Flash is moving ahead as scheduled, even though we're not getting Superman, we're not getting Gal Gadot back, we're not getting Jason back after Aquaman 2, 
the news on Ben Affleck, I guess we're holding our breath. Is isn't he supposed to be like a vital part of this movie? That's what I thought. Yeah, because it was my impression that Ben Affleck was more than a cameo in this movie. Yeah, he. I think he, you know, in the same way that they, they structure a flashpoint in the comics, I think uh, Batman, I think Ben Affleck was supposed to have a, a more prominent role, something like that. So, yeah, I think so, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, well, now that's up in the air. Like, we just don't know. We don't know. Uh, we're, we're back to not knowing, but we do know that Flash movie is coming out. Uh, and so the, the girl they got to play Supergirl, she's going to be there. Uh, there. There's been no news. So we're, we're going to have, oh my God, Eric, this just hit me. We're going to have Supergirl, but not Superman. I... Let me repeat what I just said to the people who maybe that just went over your head. Maybe you didn't hear me. So let me say that again. We're going to have, assuming that that we're going to go forward with this, because it it might just be this movie comes out and it flops like Black Adam did, and then maybe maybe they just say to heck with it, now we can start the real thing. No. Good, man. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I don't. I, 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 what? <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh my God! What? What's? Look. All right. I, I'm an aspiring artist. I'm an aspiring writer. I love to write. I do love stories, Evan. I think me and you both do. We do, as former theater actors, uh, have a passion and an insight into acting and the projects that we love and what it takes to bring good performances to the screen or let alone just have a good story. I would like to think that we know what that means, right? So the question is, how hard is it? How hard... Is it for you to, I mean, that's that. Why does it seem like everyone in Hollywood these days is having a hard time? These professional writers, they get paid millions of dollars. You know, we understand there's a difference between what you put on paper and how you execute it and bring it to life. But still, the structure and how you do things matters. Why is that so hard for people nowadays? The bloody sequel trilogy didn't even have it. And I mean, the early DC, you had somewhat of it because Zack and Nolan were there. But I mean, even then, even now with with gun taking over, like what we have a super girl in the movie, but no. So you can afford to bring in Supergirl. But fear not, Eric. We've also got Blue Beetle. We've got Blue Beetle. And Shazam. And Shazam Shazam on his second movie. No Superman. And Superman can't even get... Now, hope... I... Yes. Man of Steel is a masterpiece to me, in my opinion. I think a lot of Superman fans would agree. Allow me to concur. I concur. It's a masterpiece. 
It is a masterpiece. Com- especially compared to what they've been putting out for the last couple of years. Man of Steel's the freaking godfather by comparison. Yes. At the same time, there was no... I mean, Zach, it's not like Zach just... Uh, yes, he balled out on that movie and like he balled he, ball, OG, you know what I'm saying? MJ, you know, style, Kobe style, you know, like didn't miss with Man of Steel. Right. But it's not like he just like closed the door... For, you know, I mean, I'm pretty sure he was he was pretty clear, you know, yeah, this won't be the last interpretation of, of Superman and, and there are going to be more to come. But it's funny how that movie came out almost dang near 12, 13 something years ago. And they act like they can't they can't make a Superman movie. They act like they can't green light a Henry. How hard is like what was the hold up? What was the hold now? No. I ain't going to go into blaming BVS because I know our thoughts on BVS and and they're understandable. We've concurred on those points. Eric, even more than that, why the hell do you go through the trouble of bringing him back? Bring him back. Just to not bring him back. That's the part I can't figure out. Like, if you're not going to bring back Henry Cobble following BVS, okay, fine. Like, I don't agree with it. I mean, because I think Henry Cobble should be back because I think he's a great Superman. But why in the hell do you go through the trouble of arguing with The Rock all these years? You bring him, you you cave and bring him back. And nobody objected to it that I could see. No, bro. I couldn't find a single person who was like, oh, God, they brought back Cobble. Why? He's terrible. I can't find him. Now, There's maybe, not one fan who's saying that. Maybe such a person exists. I don't know. I'm not saying they don't. But Yeah, they, they do exist. They're in the WB boardroom, apparently. Yeah, she, I guess. Because <laughs> these, these fools sat here and told The Rock. They told The Rock, no. We I don't mean, want Henry. And I can... I, yes, Black Adam flopped, but I don't think anyone should be surprised about that. And I, I really don't understand. Like, I told you my theory on why they didn't bring him back, which is that, you know, given Black Adam flopping, I guess their thought process is to wash everything clean of Zack Snyder. And if that's what they're going to do, then we can expect that Ben Affleck uh, will not be Batman. But if he's not going to be Batman, um, you know, how, how the hell do you go forward with with Flash, if he actually you cut out a little bit. What was the last thing you heard? Uh, how do you keep Flash even though Ezra's been, you know... Well, what I was saying is, like, you know, if, if they're gonna wipe their hands clean of everything Snyder related, that means they would also have to get rid of Ben. But if they get rid of Ben... If the rumors about him playing a critical role in Flashpoint are true, how do you get rid of Ben and go forward with Flash? This whole see that see that's that's the confusion. That's the confusion right there. I mean and, and we've been this way for a long time, but now it's it seems it's even worse. It's even worse, bro. See, that's what I can't figure out. Like from day one. 
Like everything post BVS and post Justice League, everything post 2017 has been nothing but confusion. If and it it didn't have to be either. It didn't have to be. If the Flash was your vehicle movie, then say that. Be like, okay, uh, DC fans, all right, the Flash is going to serve as our official reboot. After this movie, the whole new DC universe will be born through this movie. But you're talking about, and I think it was already, I think it's already a mistake. I think you think it's, you know it's already a mistake. I mean, just debasing the whole established sort of DCEU and starting all the way from scratch. Like, you could have done a hard reboot, but kept... I mean, you know Flashpoint. That's one of the most iconic DC stories of all time, where the Flash takes events from his past life, and he has to deal with Reverse Flash, and they go to... All these things happen, but by the end of it, the Flash ends up having to restart time and, and, and births a whole new continuity. And he remembers that past continuity, but he's all he also is aware and living in the new timeline. Why is that such a hard thing to execute in Flashpoint? Like in this Flashpoint movie, why couldn't that be, hey, this is gonna be the one and after that everything's gonna be brand new and it's gonna be a fresh restart after that? But no, that's not what they're saying. They're saying no, James Gunn is wiping out the entire DCEU, Henry Cobble's gone, everything is gone. Okay, so what is the Flash gonna do? If that was your reboot vehicle, what what does that mean? I, I long gone. I I mean I guess I I'm really starting to think that Warner Brothers has accepted. This is my theory. This is where I think they're at with Flashpoint. They've spent too much money on this movie to not release it. This isn't Catwoman. This is or whatever. Uh, or whatever movies they also canceled, Batwoman or whatever. Yeah, this is Flashpoint. The budget for Flashpoint is more so than all these other films they canceled combined. This yeah. was a huge film. They have too. Like, they're thinking, nah, we put too much uh, irons in this fire for us to just, you know, we put too many eggs in this basket to just throw out the basket. To just throw it out. So that's not going to happen. But I do think. They see the writing on the wall, and they're thinking, let's just release it and hold this L. Let's release it, hold the L, pray to God that we don't lose everything. Like, pray to God we can at least come close to breaking even. And then we'll let James Gunn start from scratch. It's all, man. I, I, I don't like it. It, namely, because I was looking over James Gunn's resume, and I have yet to see him do a single film that shows me that he knows. Like, I like The Suicide Squad. It was good, but it, that's not going to work for Batman. No. That's not going to work for Superman. That's not going to work for a lot of characters. And I, I'm, I'm concerned I'm very concerned moving forward because we don't have a Superman. And this is what I try to tell people, the difference in DC and Marvel. With Marvel, you can kind of pick and choose who your starting character will be. You can. 
You can do Captain America. You can do Iron Man. You can do Hulk. You know, Marvel's like that. They've got a lot of different characters with a lot of different storylines that kind of intermingle. And you can do that with Marvel, right? Right. Um, I mean, you look at what they did. They didn't bring Spider-Man in until after, like, two Avengers movies. And yeah, that was under- like phase phase three. Yeah, and he's the most popular character on Marvel. But with DC, every major storyline centers around Batman or Superman. Yeah. That's just how it is. That's how it's like every major storyline that involves the main characters, Batman or Superman is the center of it. So yes. if you don't have Superman, how do you build anything? Batman. This is like Led Zeppelin trying to release an album without Jimmy Page. Like, how are we going to do this? How does this work? I, all I can do is laugh. Because the investment is gone. They've already lost everything. I'm not driving down the street, you know, uh, running recollections and, and reminiscing down and running down memory lane about, you know, the DCEU, you know, minus Man of Steel, BVS, and ZSJL, you know. Uh, I'm reminiscing about the Batman. About Joker, you know, about DC of old, but th- this is ten, ten, almost ten, ten, fifteen years, man. That is, this a wrap, dude. They're not, they're not recovering from this. They can release these movies that they got coming up, make whatever they got to do, you know. But in terms of a cinematic universe, bro. This thing's not happening. You're talking about Blue Beetle, right? That's another. Um, it's Blue Beetle in the old in the old DCU as part of the old DCEU slate. You greenlit this movie from way back when, and it's been in production, and now it's going to be useless because James Gunn. How do well, you build a universe without Superman? But oh, the the God crazy. Knows. The crazy thing is, though, I agree with James in the sense of you got to burn the house down and start over if you want this to be successful. But you could have done that and kept Henry. Keep the foundation. I don't get that. Like, you can fire him or, or you can fire everything, but keep Henry. Keep Ben. And right. for the love of God, can we please get rid of Ezra Miller? Why is he still here? Who cares about Flash at this point, Eric? That's what I want to know. No one does. I don't care about it. Like, everything this dude's been accused of, and it keeps coming out. I, I, I don't like to judge people, but my God, it's like every other week with Ezra. Grooming charge, theft charge, battery charge, out you know, disorderly kidnapping. God, I mean, disorderly conduct charge, illegal possession of firearms charge. I mean, everything. But no, that we're gonna keep him and release the movie, but we're we're gonna scrap Henry Cavill. Yeah, we're not even two weeks into twenty twenty three, and here we are. I'm already ready to say, all right, maybe next year, DC. Maybe.
my brother welcome back what up man what's up man sorry for the messy day you know how sundays are for football and church and uh family so sorry about the delay but we are back from our interlude how are you man doing really good man doing good and for those who missed the first part just quick two second recap dc gave us a new headache yes i think that about sums it up that about sums it up. I, I just, um, we were watching Spider-Man 3 just now, me and my brother-in-law and Tessa. And my brother-in-law hasn't uh, caught up with the MCU since Phase 2. So I went back and I ran him through the whole Disney Plus catalog and just showed him everything that he has yet to catch up on. And when I looked at it in my subconscious, I'm like, yeah. Sure, sure, DC, you're going to start from ground zero and wipe everything out, and you're going to restart and have a successful uh, DC Cinematic Universe. I'm like, yeah, okay, sure, with all of these Marvel projects, like, DC could never. It's just not going to happen. It's it's not. Looking at it, it's just not. One can only hope. One can one can only hope. And, and so, and I'm like, we're it's it's gotten so crazy to the point where I told my brother-in-law, I said, you know that Spider-Man 3 is officially MCU canon, thanks to No Way Home. Like, Marvelous. Oh, no Way Home. Bro. Epic. The Willem MCU. Dafoe. Willem Dafoe. Every, bro. The MCU is so big and so epic that they now can go back and take their old early 2000s movies and make them canon too. In addition with the new movie. That's how big and expansive Marvel is. You talk about a cinematic universe and now a multiverse. Yeah, DC. I'm sure they'll catch up, Evan, in like 2030. Yeah. Perhaps. I'm sure. But but that's part one. But now on to part two. On to part two. It's another special edition, J House Top 5. I always love doing these. Oh, yes. Now, this is a unique one. We've never done one like this before, as always. Yes. So for one thing that's amazing about movies is they make us feel all kinds of emotions. Yeah. And some movies, you watch them, and it's literally impossible to not get teary-eyed. Yes. And so I've made a list, and you have as well, of the top five most tear-jerking movies or tear-jerking movie scenes. Yes. All right, now I'm gonna let we'll go back and forth on this as always. Yeah, I think I've got a great list. My number two, and especially fun fact about the number one movie on this list, I've seen the number one movie on this list about 10 times. Yeah, and I've still yet to make it all the way through without sobbing. Yeah, all right, but without further ado, do you have any honorable mentions to start off? Any honorable mentions? Mm-hmm. Um, no, I, I actually don't. Not off the top of my head. I, I actually thought out this list because there aren't very many, um, over this past 10 to 15 years, when we look at what's dominated cinema, um, it's not those movies of old, those old drama movies, you know, of old that were more so crime dramas or, uh, romance movies or, you know, so there, there's not many that, 
that have made me cry. Everything that I've experienced, everything that has made me cry has been within this 10 to 15 year time frame in which uh, pop culture has dominated cinema. You know, Marvel moments, DC moments, Star Wars moments, um, so many other moments that have dominated cinema for art for the past 10 to 15 years, like I said. So, no honorable mentions. I, I know exactly these precise ones because it's rare. Not uh, every movie well, can I, make me cry. I, I actually have a couple honorable mentions. Okay. The, three quick ones. Yes. Okay. This first one isn't so much cry boohooing, but I can't help but get a little choked up. Yeah. Would be the end of episode three of Star Wars, the end of the Anakin Obi Wan battle. Boy, you know something. I mean that that's it's kind of you know hard. something. It, it's kind of hard to not. It's hard to not. It's really like when, you, when especially when you watch the first and second episode, and I would imagine even more so if you watch the Clone Wars. I haven't yes. watched it yet. When you just really see that level of friendship, and then you see how it all comes. To a very sad end, which is why I love the Obi-Wan show so much as well. But yeah, yes. episode three, very emotional. Uh, a- another one that might surprise people, but this one just kind of hits it home for me. And this one just added the list recently. This is a movie I've watched my whole life, but only as of the last two years has it become emotional for me. And it's uh, the Gridiron Gang movie with The Rock. Oh, really? Well, That's and, interesting. And, and here's why. I started about a year ago working with a ministry team in Pritchard, Alabama, which for any listeners that don't know about Pritchard, it's a, it's a very rough city in Alabama, putting it mildly. Putting uh, it mildly, yeah. Largely government projects, a very high crime rate, uh, senseless deaths happen all the time. Yeah. And, and, and Gridiron Gang, you see the reality of it. You see people that are... I mean, the begin within the first ten minutes of the film, you see someone get shot over a bicycle, and it's like yeah. really a bicycle, and you're going to shoot somebody. Yeah, I mean that that's just the culture, and it's a sobering reality, and it's it, it it's hard to watch now for me. So yeah, that one just recently joined the list. Hit close to home. Oh yeah. And then the last one is actually the end of The Dark Knight Rises, the statue of Batman being shown at the end of that one. Yeah. And I say that because throughout the... What I love about the Christopher Nolan Batman trilogy is it's the pinnacle of Batman overcoming. Mm. It really is. Like, you know, you got the first one, you see him go through the tragedy of losing his parents in front of him, which would drive anybody insane. It would would murk anybody. I mean, he... I mean, that's... People downplay that when they want to call Bruce self-righteous. People yeah. really down. I, people are like, well, you're not the only one with trauma. I'm like, well, that is true. But don't downplay his. Yeah. Like, don't sweep his. Like, yeah, I understand all the Robins have trauma. And every time they have an argument, it's always Batman's insensitive. I'm like, no, he's got his own trauma. I never thought about it like that. That's a new perspective. N- no one ever does because people just want... People just desperately want Batman to kill Joker. That's what it is. At you the know, they, they want him to because we all want to see villains get punished. Right. We all, at the end of the day, we've seen Green Goblin and all the other major villains get killed. Like We've yeah. seen satisfying deaths. But with Joker, outside of Jack Nicholson, 
we haven't seen it. Like Heath Ledger's Joker didn't die on screen. Right. Like we didn't see that. Um so I, I, I can understand that. But back on the Dark Knight, why it's on the list, you see that first one, he loses his parents and you see him overcome and learn to master his emotions and go from just spoiled billionaire rich kid to now he's training with this deadly league of assassins. Right. And you watch him grow. And then in the dark night, of course, Joker turns his life to hell in a handbasket, like loses Rachel and Harvey devastating movie. And then, you know, at the end of it, people hate Batman for him. Yeah. And then finally, after the dark night uh, rises, all those events, Batman is finally seen as the hero. You know, Batman is finally victorious after everything he's been through, all the hell he had to go through to save Gotham. He never gave up. Yeah. Uh, even though he had every right to. And Catwoman, like Anne Hathaway, you know, I, I went back and rewatched The Dark Knight Rises. I've criminally underrated Anne Hathaway in that movie. She deserves some praise. She's actually pretty soft. I actually like her more than I did the new one. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm not yeah. even talking about the woke stuff. I'm not even like, take that out of it. That is no factor. She's just, she's better. Well, yeah, Zoe Kravitz is just kind of there. Yeah. She didn't really, I didn't think, I mean, yeah, she's Falcone's uh, daughter, which, I mean, that was a cool twist. Um, yeah. But overall, I mean, she didn't play as big of a role as Anne Hathaway did in The Dark Knight Rises. That's true. Like, she betrayed Batman, and, and he ended up getting his butt kicked because of it, brutally. But, yeah. you know, he somehow forgave her, and they fell in love. Yeah. That boy, Bruce. But yeah, but just seeing that Batman statue at the end gets me kind of emotional, because it's just like, you know, here it is, like, Batman is finally getting the credit he deserves. He made all the sacrifices. Nobody broke him. The he true hero him. is revealed. Yes, it was, it was never Harvey, and the people of Gotham, they admit they're wrong, and there's finally the promise of a new day, and it's it shows like, hey, there is one symbol of hope in Gotham to look to. Yeah. All right, now with that, my man, Cap, kick us off with your number five. Before I begin on my number five, I do want to touch on what you just said, because you just, that's why you're so brilliant, man. That's why there's no other co-host on j house podcast radio because when you bring up something you could make me see something differently about downplaying batman's trauma uh that's exactly what the batman did that's what catwoman did you know whoever you are you obviously grew up rich you know or paul and not even knowing what bruce wayne went through or or riddler you know oh you know uh must your parents death must have went down easy with all that money you know while the rest of us which i understand they did quit sending money so i understand why he was upset but i mean like people be acting like bat just because batman's a billionaire like that just because his like his parents are still dead no amount of money is going to change that. No, it's not going to make it go down easier. Obviously, it didn't, or else a billionaire wouldn't be spending their nights beating criminals to a bear to uh to well, a pulp with their, their hands. So much that as the fact that it happened right in front of him. Right in front of him. Like just to put this into perspective, I mean, this is kind of personal, but th this is like j just kind of 
just to put in perspective, so about a year ago on complete accident, I ran over the family dog, like worst bull crap ever. Yeah. Stuff that, that was over a year ago. That stuff is still with me. Like has not, like I still can't drive my truck back there. And so like that was over a year ago. So multiply that garbage by 10,000 and that's your parents getting shot in front of you. Yeah. Trauma sticks with you. It does. And, and it, it's always bothered me when people just downplay that. I'm like, look, yes, he grew up rich. Yes, he had a nice upbringing. Yes, his life would have been worse if he would have been poor. We understand this. But there are some things that money just doesn't help. It doesn't. And that is one of those things. That's facts. And it's so, not and it's never been so much that Batman's this self-righteous prick. I understand sometimes he's he's wrote that way. He can yeah. He can come off as yeah. But at the end of the day, it's just Batman is just trying to not traumatize himself anymore. Yeah. He doesn't want to go down that road. Yeah. So after you. Number five. And I love your honorable mentions because great minds like we like us, we do think alike, but we contrast. So you listed one of the Dark Knight trilogy endings, which was the Dark Knight Rises in your honorable mentions. At number five, I have all three of the Dark Knight trilogy, all, all three of the Dark Knight movie endings uh, that are tearjerkers to me because, first of all, they're just superbly written. It doesn't get any better than Chris Nolan and um, David S. Goyer and everyone else who contributed to uh, the Dark Knight trilogy. Um, let me correct that just in case. It just doesn't get any more emotional than than that. The whole ending speech, you know, yeah, it was David S. Goyer and, and Chris Nolan who worked on that story. And the ending for Batman Begins was just, it was beautiful. First of all, you're topping off the most iconic, one of the most arguably, if not the most iconic superhero origin story of all time with an Easter egg for the greatest villain who is yet to come amen but, but really yeah amen but really it was it was the relationship between gordon the whole movie you know understanding that everything is like he said in the dark knight rises you're going to come to a time where uh far out where everything's far out there uh beyond order and and the system is shackles and you have to let the bad guy get ahead you know one day you may come to a moment of crisis and in that moment i hope you had a friend like i did to plunge your hands into the filth so that you can keep yours clean and i felt that line and i thought back to batman begins and that relationship between batman and gordon and how he had help uh in the cesspool that was the gotham city police department and so at the end when you know he's like i never said thank you and he's like and you'll never have to and then just hopped off the building and flew into the night and the icon and it was just it makes you it, it did get me a little tearjerk oh little dude i'm sorry to cut you off but i just remembered a scene yeah the, the part where uh uh, Bruce Wayne tells him a hero could be anyone, someone who does something as simple as giving a young boy a jacket, letting him know the world's not ending. Let him know the world hadn't ended. That got me. That was good. And then the way that James, that Jim got it instantly, he's like, wait a minute, Bruce? Bruce? My dog. Right. 
So, and, uh, so that's uh, I continue. That was a great. Uh, I just wanted to mention that it's definitely iconic. And the dark. Let's not forget the best one of all time, uh, the Dark Knight ending. You know, mm-hmm. what did he do? What did he? He didn't do anything wrong. That's because you know. I mean, why is he running? And I'm like, because we got to chase him, son. He's not the hero that Gotham uh, uh, needs right now, but you know, eventually he will be. So we got to chase him. And Batman's just like, this man just lost the love of his life. He just had to take the rap for something that he didn't do in order to keep Gotham sane and safe. And he just rides off into the night. Uh, you know, a watchful protector, a silent guardian, the dark knight. Bow! And you know what I'm saying? Like that. So really all three, all three Dark Knight endings, like just they, they'll all make you cry. They'll all get you emotional, in my opinion, to me. So, on to you. Well, I completely agree, man. The, the, the speech that uh, Gordon gave at the end of The Dark Knight, that was Christopher Nolan putting on a clinic in writing. Yes. And Gary Oldman putting on a clinic in acting. Yes. Personally, I think he should have been nominated for an Oscar for for that particular movie. Whole cast could have really, I mean, well, if we being honest, if we being real. The only I'm I'm just not crazy about Rachel from The Dark Knight. That's fair. That's fair because a recast does mess up the sort of. She did great, but a recast yeah, does kind of throw was, you off. She, she was good, but I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know, man. I I totally agree with all of the all of your points that you made about The Dark Knight and those movies being emotional. Yeah. All right. So for me, n- number five, this is an all time classic film everyone loves, but there are scenes in this movie that you've got to be a cold-hearted something to watch and maybe not cry all out, but get a little bit teary-eyed. Yes. So at number five, I've got Forrest Gump. And namely, the scene where Bubba dies. That scene is awful. I mean, they're they're out in the the jungles of Vietnam. Bubba gets shot. This is like Forrest's only friend. He don't have many friends because he's different. And that's sad yeah. enough. Yeah. And then they had to have Bubba deliver gut-wrenching lines like, Forrest, why'd this happen? And I'm like, what the heck? Yeah. And then it got even worse with, Forrest, I want to go home. I'm thinking, right. I, I just a mat like, that's horrible. Like, but that was the reality of Vietnam. And that's just one scene in that movie. And then, yeah. you've, then you've also got, like, Forrest loses his mom. Forrest loses Jenny. I mean, there's a lot of scenes in that movie that just tug at your heartstrings. Yeah. You've got to be a cold-hearted something to just watch and not get just a little bit teary-eyed. Yeah, it, it's it's a series of unfortunate and crazy events for one person to live through all those events like that and not, you know, like any sane person would have been traumatized living through all that. But Forrest was just like... Because he was different. He just had a different perspective. And yeah, Jenny dying was crazy. Bubba dying, like, just, you know, hey, man, we're going to we're gonna shrimp. Just shrimp all out in these waters. You know what I'm saying? Let's start us a, a shrimp and boat business, you know, once we get out of Vietnam. But Bubba didn't come out of Vietnam. So, I mean, it was just, that's tough. I, I never, I, I got emotional 
watching Forrest Gump, but I don't think I ever cried. See, but, but that's, I, that, that's what I'm saying. Like, it, you not maybe not boohooed, but like you, you'll get emotional. Yeah. Like it's, it's, get... it's terribly, it's terribly balanced, bro. Like Forrest Gump just has so much comedy. Like it'll, it'll bring you the most heart wrenching moments. And then the next moment it'll bring you the most happiest, most funny, hopeful, optimistic thing you've ever, you've ever seen. That's what's crazy about it. Yeah. Like him being the running back for Alabama. That was hilarious. I he said. Might, and Bear Bryant saying he might be the stupidest person alive, but he sure is fast. First, let, let me lament. I just got to give y'all that. Forrest Gump is a movie about historical events from the eyes of a boy from Greenbow, Alabama. Historical events of the 1950s, 60s, and 70s, mind you. And the fact that Alabama's football dominance of the early days was mentioned as a part of one of those historical features, I, I couldn't even be mad as an Auburn fan. I'm like, man, I, I, bro, when you and Forrest Gump and Forrest Gump was the one that was running the ball for Bama back in, I can't, I can't argue with that. I'm like, okay, yeah. okay. But get this, Eric. Typically, this is against my policy, but I actually have a tie here at number five. You have a tie. Yeah, I actually. So it's Forrest Gump slash. Yes, I've actually got two ties on this list. We'll get to the other one later. Um, This one isn't so much tear jerking as it is disturbing and sad. Like, it's disturbingly sad. You're probably not going to cry so much as be disturbed. It's a movie called, um, and I just watched it for the first time a couple months ago, and I'm never watching it again. Like, freaking ever. But Jared Leto's in it. It's called Requiem for a Dream. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. I've heard of it. I've heard. Of, I've never watched it, but I've heard of it. So, basically, it's a movie about uh, four different people, two different stories. There's three friends. Jared Leto. Uh, I can't remember his two friends' names, but it's another guy and a girl. And they're all heroin addicts. Wow. And then there's a, a Jared Leto's mom gets invited on a game show. But she wants to lose a couple of pounds, so she gets prescribed like these amphetamine diet pills. Well, she yeah. starts taking them, and she kind of gets addicted, and then she starts having these crazy hallucinations. And the movie's all about the dangers of addiction. And it's one of these movies that starts off bad and gets worse, and the ending is terrible. Really? Like I'm not even going to say what the ending is, because some of it's oh. really graphic and some of our viewers don't w- want to hear it. Um, yeah. But it's, it, it is grounded in reality. Part of the reason it's so tear-jerking. Yeah. Especially on the side of the heroin addicts. Like, heroin is a, is a terrible thing, and Requiem does a great job exploiting that. So it's tied with no, uh, Forrest Gump for number five on most emotional movies. I can respect that, bro. I can respect that. That's a very good choice. Uh, number four for Eric. Uh, number four is one that Tessa introduced to me uh, back when I think it was after we had Asher or I can't remember, but it was during our days, uh, probably like late 2020, early 2021. And, um, you know, I, I do love World War II. I do love that particular era of history. It was a very crazy time, a very you know, very much a, a good versus evil um, sort of time. 
where the whole world had to band together against tyranny and 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 really you know save the world so to speak but um the boy in the striped pajamas oh the final scene for me oh. was was the one because you have this this family who are nazi commanders and um as the movie goes along you start to see this father who is a nazi commander but he's starting to see the inhumanity of what he's doing and the gentleness in his son and the compassion of his son you know and the parents don't think nothing of it they're just handling it they're doing what they got to do and this this it's, it starts out so innocent you know this boy's like yeah we're here on a factory mission my family's moving here you know dad what's going on out there what's that smoke you know, oh it's something else you know don't worry about that and then it's this wonderful paradise that they seem to be living in until he goes out into the field and meets a a boy who is a, a jew in a concentration camp and they develop a friendship and um yeah the ending really uh it messed me up because I didn't want, I didn't, by the end of it, I didn't want the boy to go in there because I knew he was trying to save his friend. The The German propaganda at the time was that the Jews are being fed well, they're being taken care of in the concentration camps, but it was a lie. And they were going in there to try to see what was really going on. And they found out that, you know, no, they're killing Jews. They're gassing them in gas chambers and burning the bodies. And... The whole mood, the whole ending, I'm like, please don't walk in that chamber. Please don't go in there. Please don't go in there. Then they can't find their son. Now they're looking for him before the next uh, gas thing is set off. And and by the time he gets there, it's too late. Your own son, he, he's gone. And so, um, yeah, man, that one, that one really hit deep for me because I'm like, dang. That was a that was a tough pill to swallow, and I'm not I'm not like you know I understand people have their own different opinions and people say all sorts of things and I know we had the whole Kyrie Irving drama where he you know black Hebrew Israelites and all that and and then Kanye saying that the Holocaust didn't happen and I'm and look if if you want to say that the Jews you know, own Hollywood and the music industry, which they do. I mean, it's true. The most prominent figures are Jewish. That's not necessarily a bad thing. But, I mean, to deny that they are not God's people, and we are too, and to deny that the Holocaust didn't happen, that's just something you can't do, man. When the Auschwitz is still there till this day as we speak as a memorial, and so, yeah, that the boy in the striped pajamas really hit me hard in that aspect. It, it was a tough, tough watch. And I looked at Tessa. I'm just boo-hooing, eyes, you know, just gone, man. Like I, I had to walk in the kitchen and breathe for a second because, like, it was that it was that real. It was that real. And I'm like, I never had a movie. That was my first time. The first time a movie ever made me cry like that. And it, it was it was sad, man. Well, I mean, any movie that's made about the Holocaust is guaranteed to be a, a to get you, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, you just look Sophie's Choice, Schindler's List. Mm. I mean, it, 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 there's endless movies you can point to made about the Holocaust and uh, Diary of Anne Frank. Yeah, and I mean, a huge reason why these films hit so hard is because 
it happen. Yeah. I mean, it, this would be like if if somebody wrote the Holocaust, like if it didn't happen, could you imagine how like it, it would be something straight out of a horror movie? Yeah. So I mean, the the boy in the striped pajamas definitely a a fantastic choice. That movie messed me up too. That's a terrible ending. Yeah. But it showed the real uh, the realness of the Holocaust of what it was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, so number four for me. Th- this one really isn't so much that it's sad. It's just emotional. Like, it's one of yeah. those scenes where there's so much going on, and it's just like, man. So the- there's a movie with Tom Hardy in it. It's a UFC movie called Warrior. You ever seen it? Yeah, doesn't it? It has him and uh, who else in it? It's a uh, star opposite of him. I forget his name, but basically the film centers around two brothers. One, Joel Egerton, that's who it is. Go yeah, ahead. one is a um, a teacher who is living paycheck to paycheck and is on the brink of losing everything. That's Hardy's brother, and then yeah. ha- Hardy is a veteran who is uh, uh, trying to get some money for a friend of his wife's so they can have a better life. Yeah. And then apparently a bunch of drama happened when they were kids. Tom Hardy's brother left the family because their dad was a drunk. And he had a girlfriend and left Tom Hardy behind. And there's all this resentment and tension. And then they meet for the first time again in like years. And it's because they're going to fight in a tournament together. And the scene that the way that fight ends with Tommy's brother getting him in a chokehold. Like, my God, the emotion in that scene. Yeah. Like, there's just, like, and the father's watching on, and he's like, there's just this thing of, man, I'm proud of, like, those are my boys in there. Yeah. Like, look at them. Like, look at them go. I need to watch that movie. Dude, it gets it gets me. It gets me. And then, as he's choking out Tom Hardy, he tells him, spoiler alert, he tells his brother that he loves him and that he's like sorry for leaving and everything and he's crying his eyes out. And then the moment he tells Tom Hardy he loves him, that's when Tom Hardy taps out. Yeah. I'm like, oh my gosh, man, you you tugging at everybody's heartstring. And then they don't even like stay for the presentation and Hardy's brother just helps him walk out of the arena. And there's like this massive, anytime there's a standing ovation in the movie, you get emotional. Yeah. And that that was definitely one of those films. I feel that. All these movies that you're talking, I have to add them to the list because I haven't watched them. Oh, yeah. And the the number three and two that I have are both remarkably depressing. But then number one is actually the the number one movie on the list that I said earlier that uh, I've watched ten times and still cry is actually a happy ending. Hmm. But it's just one of those endings that's like, I'm a sucker for happy tears. I just am. Nothing wrong with tears of joy. Ain't nothing wrong with that. Like sadness, it's hard to make me cry over like like emotional stuff in a movie, like sad stuff. It's got to be something bad. But like for a movie to have like a really happy ending. Yeah. Sucker for crying sometimes. Yeah. All right, so number three for you. Number three was was a part of your honorable mentions. Um, Rick McCallum, who was the producer on the prequels and uh, helped George develop the films, 
said in the um I went back and I watched Revenge of the Sith with the audio commentary on with the the directors and team commentary and they talked about act 3 of Revenge of the Sith which is in Rick to Rick McCallum he said it was the most powerful uh moment you know once we get to the final act of the movie with order 66 Anakin's descent into the dark side that whole from that moment to the end of the moment to the movie it is really um a tear jerking moment and revenge of the sith overall is really a tear jerking bittersweet movie because yes it is the tragedy of darth vader so in that you will cry you will get emotional and it's sad but in a way it does solidify the end of the saga this is the but you you cry tears of joy because you know okay this is the end of the saga this is the circle becoming complete this is the last of the true star wars like this is it as envisioned by george and um anakin turning to vader for me as a kid was uh traumatizing i'd say because i'm like yeah this is a guy i used to run around in the backyard with and 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 run around the backyard and pretend to be you know while my brother was obi-wan and we pretend we were in the clone wars and we had our lightsabers and and so i love danigan still do to this day but it's there's something about being a kid and then watching like we knew where it was going i knew where it was going even as a kid watching the 2d clone Wars series uh the prophecy you know him in the cave looking at the wall prophecy in the nightmare and how he is prophesied that he'd choke out and kill a whole village and then the image of vader's face pops up like i knew it was coming as a kid but i didn't know it was going to be like that and so it was it was sort of it was traumatizing to see it was it was a different experience to see your hero become the villain and still sort of be the hero even though he's a villain through the original trilogy um i rewatch these scenes to this day and and i know people gave hayden christensen a lot of bad rap because of episode two for obvious um, reasons huh for obvious reasons for for obvious reasons and i can understand that but i mean dude delivers and, and even in even in episode two he had some great moments where he just really showed you know his true nature as anakin but <clears throat> but <clears throat> i'm sorry episode three <clears throat> is an all-out just emotional unstable anakin skywalker like just borderline psychotic you know like this is like this is it it's all gotten to him and and so from the moment i saw this man walking up the stairs for the first time of the jedi temple to the moment he slaughtered the younglings to him choking out padme the look of regret in his eyes when he looks down at her laying on the ground and he's like oh crap you know now you know, he's got to blame somebody else because things are falling apart for him. It's just, it's crazy. It's, it's very emotional. And then not only that, but in the back of my mind, like I said, even going forward and watching the movie on, on DVD, the 
billion times I have, um, that's it's bittersweet. Like Anakin turning to the dark side, the Empire being born. This was the end of of the Star Wars saga as we knew it. As someone who doesn't hold seven through nine to be Star Wars, that was what Revenge of the Sith was marketed as. It was marketed as the end of the saga, the saga being complete, and complete it was. So it's a very bittersweet and emotional moment for Anakin to turn into Darth Vader. That whole third act of Revenge of the Sith is what makes the movie a masterpiece and arguably the best Star Wars movie of all time. So, um, yeah, man, Anakin turns to Darth Vader. That's my number three. That's an all-time classic scene for Star Wars. I mean, no, no matter what your uh, feelings on, on the prequels may be, and, and I would agree that there are some valid criticisms of some of the films, but I think one film, one moment that we can all agree universally was amazing was the creation of Darth Vader. Yes. I, I mean, that, that was just all-time, just pure Star Wars. It's pure. It was amazing to watch. I've seen that scene a thousand times and still love it. A very emotional scene. So, I mean, absolutely, yes. Number number three, definitely. Yeah. All right, On so, you. So, for number three, I have a tie. This is my second tie. All right. The yeah. first movie at number three for me is The Green Mile. The Green Mile with Tom Hanks in it. Yes, and and I forget the name of the the main character, the gigantic dude. Uh, Arthur Clark uh, Duncan, if I'm not mistaken. May he rest in peace. Yeah. Um, for anybody who's not familiar, Green Mile is actually a, a movie based off a book by Stephen King of all people that tells the story of a man. I believe his name is John Coffey. Michael Clark Duncan. Yes, sir. Yeah, the name of the character, I believe, was John Coffey. John I think, Coffey. I think that's his name. And the whole movie centers around him and a prison warden, Tom Hanks. And uh, I don't know if he's the warden, but I think he's like a captain. Yeah. He, he's high up anyways. But anyways, John Coffey's accused of killing a little girl. But of course, throughout the whole movie, it's revealed he didn't do it. But he's accused yeah. of doing it because he's a black man living in a terrible time in America. And yeah. then, of course, the movie ends, spoiler alert again, with him being tragically electrocuted, with deliver- delivering hor- uh, gut-wrenching lines like, don't put me in the dark, I'm afraid of the dark. I'm like, oh my god, man. Yeah. Like, like, they had to drag that scene out, didn't they? Yeah. They couldn't, the just, they couldn't just sit him down and flip the switch. They're like, no, we're going to really drag this out. Yeah. That's just a brutal scene to watch. Yeah, it is really one of the only Stephen King movies you can point to that doesn't really uh, scare you, so to speak. It's it's more spiritual than anything in its nature. It's uh, I did watch that ending scene on YouTube, and um, it's horrible. Yeah, it's it's tragic. It's really tragic, and you don't. You, they just don't. In 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 the words of the old heads, Evan, they don't make them like they used to anymore. They just don't. They don't make no movies like that no more, man. No. But it was a fantastic one. Absolutely, it was. All right, and then the movie tied at number three 
is Passion of the Christ. Wow. So Passion brother, of the Bloody Christ. If you that's a terrible pun. Man. Anyway. That's not even a pun. That's just facts. So for anyone, even if you're not religious, even if you don't believe in Jesus, Passion's a hard movie to watch. Yes. That that is a because it is an hour and a half of one man being tortured nonstop, yeah. B- bloody as heck. There's really not much to say. It's just really hard to watch, and it's really tear jerking, and it's really depressing. Yeah, I mean, when you we're we're Christians, right? Me and you. Yeah, and. It's one thing, even my mother-in-law, who is the most God-fearing woman she swears she is, um, even she doesn't watch Passion of the Christ because of that. But I'm like, as a believer, as someone who believes in God and someone who believes in Jesus, when you think about when they talk about you know what he did for humanity to be saved and offer a way of salvation— it's really hard to quantify in in try not to cry here when they talk about what it takes for for cuz humans cannot us we can't forgive as easily you know we can't really just let things pass as easily we're not really tolerant of each other when it comes to us harming and and wronging each other you know the you know just that's just how it is it's always got to be the get back it's always got to be the revenge there's not patience today when you talk about interaction between humans so to to think about a man who was god incarnate sent down from heaven to sacrifice himself to show us the way that is something that is very emotional and tear jerking and it's something that not only would make you cry in that movie seeing the physical torture that he had that jesus went through for us but it's something that you get reminded of every single sunday you go to church while you're in praise and worship while you do communion you know, you are reminded of that sacrifice and passion of the Christ really puts it on the platter for you that every I mean, they rip this man's skin from his flesh back tore up crown of thorns, heavy cross. God knows how heavy, you know, walking to uh, Galgatha and, you know, being hung clothes being like just the whole nine, man, like if that. That's not even passion of the Christ itself, but just thinking about that by itself is enough to make anyone emotional, especially if you're someone who is choosing to make God your Lord and Savior and choosing to follow Christ and and your guilt that you have about what you may have done in the past and what you did um, back then. It's the hardest thing to tell people that, bro, it's it's okay. Like, you don't have to, to guilt trip yourself anymore. Someone died for you. Let themselves be tortured for you so that you could be free of that. 
so that you wouldn't have to go through that anymore. That doesn't mean the road is going to be isn't going to be hard to get away from sin after that, but it does mean that there's somebody who died for you to show you that there is a way out. And if you choose him, not to come across as preachy, but if you choose him, he can help you overcome that. And that that is the most powerful thing, the most low life scum, the people who think they don't deserve anything good those are the ones who jesus appeals to and so if that doesn't make you cry if that doesn't get you emotional i don't know what does that ought to make you ball out on the floor crying on the ground like just if i don't know what else would do it so that that's a great great choice passion of the christ is a great choice well damn man i don't even know what to say after all that i i firmly agree with all of it um so what you got at number two? Number two. Let me get myself together, man. There's too much emotion going on. Let me get myself together. <laughs> number two. <laughs> um, number two was um, it's fairly easy for me to pick. It's it's a, it's both halves. I could really say um, was number one. Uh, number two, Captain America uh, assembling the Avengers. For 10 to 15 years, Evan, we have gathered together as Marvel fans, as fans of comics in general, and and watched these films together, laughed and laughed and been wowed and ooed. And finally, um, Endgame was the one that was really going to top it off. Like right when you thought Infinity War wasn't that, you know, Endgame comes along. And Captain America, I remember it that in that moment when all of when portals started playing and and Black Panther, everyone started showing up and the music was building up and they were all lining up next to Cap. In my mind, I said, Oh hell no. There's no way he's about to say it. I, I, I started tapping Tessa on the arm and I, I was tapping my armrest too. I was like, oh, he's going to say it, but he's going to say it this month. He's going to say it. And then he said, Avengers assemble. And they just went to war. I said, oh, Lord, the whole theater went wild. I said this 10 years and he just said it. He said it in live action, Evan. I don't think you understand when you look at an Avengers comic, you see what Captain says every time they go up against the villain. Avengers assemble. That's what they say. That's what he's saying. But to hear that man say it after 10 years build up, I was like, this mother is about to say it. And he said it. And they went to, it was epic. And I still rewind it to this day. I rewind it to watch the theater, to listen to the theater reactions. I told you, uh, last year, middle of the year, I was driving down the street and I was re-listening to the audience reactions because my theater was loud. All of the theaters were loud. Oh, bro, mom was a madhouse. Madhouse, wasn't it? And I oh, just yeah. started crying. I was crying as I was driving down the street. And I'm like, man, it, it gets me. It still makes me cry till this day. And the second half of that is um, Iron Man's death. That's the one that's the one that that made and it took me a second because we have we spent the better part of of this decade 
and some years wallowing in the mess that was DC and, and, and focusing on what they did. Well, I, on what they did. And in my doing of that, I never, I told you that when I saw, uh, in game, I was like, this is what DC could have been. And because I was focusing at it on that perspective, I didn't really take time to appreciate what Marvel had done in itself. And I felt like I took Iron Man for granted in that way too. So when Iron Man died, when Robert Downey Jr. delivered the snap in the, in the line, once it, I didn't cry, I was shocked when he did it. But then it was only once they started saying their goodbyes and then only once the funeral started to go and and everyone gathered around him. That was when the thought started hitting me. I'm like, bro, you used to want to be Tony Stark when you were a kid. I used to take my mom's equipment and stuff apart from vacuums, whatever we had lying around the house to make miniature arc reactors, bro. And and because I wanted to be Iron Man, I was drawing blueprints for guns and Iron Man suits and all that. Because I, I, as a kid, I'm like, bro, I'm gonna be Tony freaking Stark, you know. And in that moment, I just it all hit me, and I started. I was just bawling, man. Like I couldn't believe he was gone. And I'm like, there's no way I can take him for granted after all he's done these past ten years for cinema. And so in that moment, it hit me. It hit me real hard. And I, I cried. Everyone was crying. It was either silence or you were crying. And I'm not talking because, you know, people are so inconsiderate these days. They'll sit there and laugh at the person who's crying. There was not one person who was laughing at anything when that scene happened. It was silence or tears. That was it. And so, yeah, Iron, uh, Iron Man's death for me, that choked me up. That had me. It's Iron Man's death. That was that was a rough one. It's rough. That was rough. And then Captain America's Avengers Assemble, all time iconic line. Very much. Not really much more for me to say, so I'm gonna move on to my number two. Yes. This is my last depressing one, but this is maybe the most depressing one, but it had a great ending. Um you had a Holocaust movie earlier with boy in the striped pajamas yes at number two i have what i consider to be the best holocaust movie ever um and i've got schindler's list at number two Mm. uh this is a movie that is not for the faint of heart yeah Um, this is a very 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 unbelievably rough movie to get through it is the most realistic take on the Holocaust ever. I forget the actor's name who plays uh, the main Nazi, Amon Goth, I believe is his name. Uh, he's the most despicable character of all time in any movie. Um, yeah. th- that includes a- any character you can think of. I mean, the first time you see this guy, he just wakes up, grabs his sniper, and casually just starts shooting Jews as they're working as if it's target practice. Jeez. And all the other uh, Jews in the concentration camp are expected to just keep working as if they didn't just see that happen. Like you, anyone could get picked off during the shift. And I'm watching this thinking like, man, that was someone's father. That was someone's brother. That was someone's friend. Yeah. Like the, the, those were the... In, in that movie, we were shown two things. The first was how evil humanity can be. 
Yeah. What what happened during the Holocaust? It it, it was arguably the lowest point in human history. The biggest human atrocity. It it's it's one of them. It's, yeah. It was horrible. But then we see the actions of one man, Oscar Schindler. We see how good someone can actually be. Yeah. We see this guy who's a, a Nazi himself save over a thousand Jews. And the, the whole film, like that whole storyline is just so unbelievably powerful. And then, the, but the scene, the, there's two scenes that get me every time. The first one is at the, there's two scenes at the end. The first is when uh, World War Two is, you know, the Nazis have surrendered. And yeah. Oscar Schindler is preparing to go turn himself in and be arrested because every member of the Nazi party was arrested. Yeah. But, but before he walked off to be arrested, he had a meeting with all the people he saved. And um, he had just this moment of regret because he's looking because he bought all of them. Like, that's how he saved them all. He purchased them. Yeah. They, they were sold like nothing back then. But then he's looking at, like, the cuffs on his jacket. And then he's like, oh, my God, if I would have sold these cuffs, there could be five more people here alive right now. And there's, yeah. there's just this, like, Liam Neeson, that was the best acting of his career. Bar yeah. not even close. And he just literally collapses on the ground, like, on his knees, like, just bawling. That just crying out, I could have saved more. Why didn't I save more? And they're all trying to comfort him, like, bro, we're all here. Yeah, like, there's almost two. Like, I'm about to get choked up talking about it because there's like there's like two thousand of them there. And then the other scene that gets me is at the end. It's showing all of the actual people like just walking like in unison, and I don't even know what song they're singing, but it goes from like the whole movie's in black and white. The entire movie until yeah. the very, very end, it shows all the Schindler survivors. It goes to color at the very end and it shows all of them placing like rocks on his grave, like just paying tribute. Yeah. And dude, if anyone can watch that and not just boohoo, like that's a scene that gets me boohooing. Like yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not talking teary eyed. Like, no, I'm bawling my eyes out at that scene. Yeah. So yeah, definitely number two Schindler's list. I'm adding that to my uh, to my binge list. I'm definitely gonna go and and check it out. This I remember starting it, but I just never got to finish it. So I'm definitely gonna add Schindler's list there. It's a long one. I figured it would be. It's I like a three hour movie. It's a lot like The Godfather. You you've got to put you've got to set a certain time aside. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. And and be be prepared. This is my advice. This is what I always do. I always have a comedy prepared to watch immediately following. Yeah, me and me and Tessa have to do that quite often when we watch. Like, if we watch something that that gets us, like, yeah, we're gonna have to like let's watch comedy after this. Turn find a comedy. I'm like, yeah, we need to laugh. We need to laugh for like, a second. I, I've always yeah. got I've always got the Hangover ready to go. Yeah, I don't know what it is about the Hangover, but that's always my go to comedy comfort movie. Yeah, it's either fun. That, either that or Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, something out of to just to get take you out of it, just to make you. Yeah. yeah. Because like Schindler, that ending, but you do get to watch him hang a Goeth, which is one of the most satisfying villain deaths ever. Yeah. Because like his neck doesn't break, and like, but you get to like watch him strangle for a minute, and 
you want him to die. Yeah. Because, like, he just... You cut out? Um, yeah. There's just so many scenes. He walks up, and without even speaking, he'll just drop somebody dead. And you, yeah. you remember, like, you've seen Inglorious Bastards. Yes. Christoph Waltz is very evil in that movie. But Christoph Waltz, he's kind of over-the-top cartoony with it. Yeah. Like, it's like, okay, he's a Nazi, but this is an over-the-top Quentin Tarantino, you know, crazy Nazi guy. Right. Amon Goeth in Schindler's List is just pure evil. Yeah. He is just all business, very little emotion behind what he does. He just, and there's no... It's his lack of humanity for me. Like, the way he's just able to walk up, shoot somebody in the back of the head, they fall dead in front of him, and then he just yeah. looks around. Okay, back to work. Yeah. Like, just back to calm. Like, just calm. Just, like, he didn't didn't even... And then he hands the gun to, like, someone else. Clean this. Yeah. And just walks away. Like, he didn't just do that. Like, just killed some innocent dude. And watching him die at the end of Schindler is one of the best scenes ever. It is very, very pleasant. Yeah. I'm definitely going to watch it. All right. Moment of truth, Eric. Number one. Number one. They didn't want this man as James Bond when he first. Uh, If you're about to do No Time to Die, don't spoil it. You haven't watched it? If you are going to do No Time to Die, you cannot spoil this. I can't even say my number one. I can't say it. Well, you can say it because I have been told that it's sad, but you can't say why. I can't say why it's sad. But it's it's because I remember, bro, you left the theater crying your eyes out. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll just leave it at that then. When I left No Time to Die... I mean that it like I, all those all these other moments I've mentioned, yeah, I cried for the day, and I got over it. It was after that I was like, okay, I'm good, but this one this one stuck with me for a few for a few probably like a week or two, like this one hit me in my chair, like I was borderline like depressed i'm not I'm not saying depressed because that's people throw that term around too loosely. But I, I was there. I was down after after this one, after No Time to Die. Because that, I mean, the end of an era. They didn't want this man as James Bond, and he ended up being the best of them all. And eventually, time, you know, I mean, everything has to, you know, every Bond has had their run, and it's, it's, it's no different. You know, we all thought, yeah, Craig's going to stay Bond forever. But, I mean, dude needs, you know, it was just his time to have a, a great finale like all the great Bonds have. And so what was done in this movie, the breaks that were pulled in this movie, gave it the most amazing ending to any Bond movie ever made. And I walked out I walked out the theater with my parents. I was crying. I cried while I was sitting down, and I thought I was okay, but I'm like, the the life had been sucked out of me after I watched it and walking out the theater I got out to the open air 
and I couldn't breathe. I was, you know, just breathing really, really hard. And I just broke down crying again. I'm like, cause I couldn't believe how crazy and amazing, uh, the finale was. I got to watch this movie. You need to watch it. Okay. By this weekend, I will have watched it. Cause I was planning on binging the bond movies. The only Daniel Craig bond movies I've seen is casino and skyfall. Oh, well, yeah, man, you you definitely got to get, you got to watch spec, well, if you're going to re-binge, then just watch all of them, Casino, Quantum, Skyfall, Spectre, and No Time to Die, but if you haven't, then I would definitely recommend Quantum, because it's underrated, and uh, Spectre was a beautiful romance kind of Bond movie, and No Time to Die is just going to knock your socks off, so, I mean, definitely watch No Time to Die this weekend. All right, so No Time to Die is your number one. No Time to Die. All right, I'm definitely going to have to add that one to the list. All right. I I have one more honorable mention before I say my number one. Yes. Ending of Spider-Man 2. Alfred Molina. I'll give you that. That, That's solid. His his, uh, turn to the good at the end, sacrificing himself to destroy his life's work. Uh, and not destroy the city. That was pretty tear jerking. The river. Drown <laughs> it. I'll do it. Oh, good. <laughs> Alfred's a great actor. He really is. He was. He's phenomenal. All right. So n- number one for me. As I said, I- I'm a sucker for a movie that has a good ending. Uh, th- this movie has two scenes that get me every time. One out of sadness. And just yeah. dang. And the other out of just pure emotion, joy, triumph, heck yeah. Number one for me is Will Smith, The Pursuit of Happiness. Oh, I a good choice. This is arguably one of my favorite movies ever. Uh, th- th- this movie, so it centers around a guy who he's got a kid. His wife leaves him at the beginning of the movie because she's crazy. Uh, at least I think that's what it was. I remember yeah. they broke up at the beginning. I think she was crazy. Something happened because she left yeah. the kid. And there's not a lot of moms that would do that. Mm-hmm. Like I would say 95% of women, if they leave, they're going to take the kid with them. Yeah. All right. So. Uh, and he, he tries and sells these medical devices that no one wants to buy. He doesn't have a job with steady income. He's got a kid. He's flat broke. And yeah. he ends up doing a, an internship for a stock market company because uh, he saw a guy driving a nice car. And he was like, bro, what do you do? Yeah. And, and so he got inspired to be a stockbroker, but he's not getting paid during the internship. And yeah. he winds up running completely out of money so bad that he loses his house. He loses everything. He's got like no money in his pocket. He, yeah. has, to, he has to take his son to the homeless shelter just so they can get food. But there's two parts of that movie that get me. The first part is when they have to sleep in the subway bathroom. Oh, that was tough. That scene killed like the way he pretends like we have to go hide in a cave away from the dinosaurs. I'm like, man, this guy. Mm. Yeah. And then, like, it just shows the guy, like, he's knocking on the bathroom door, 
and then just re- it, it, Will Smith couldn't even talk. He didn't have to say anything. He didn't have to say nothing. Like it's just reality set in for him. Like he's sitting there, like I'm with my son in a subway bathroom because we have nowhere to go. We have no family, no friends. I have no job. I don't see myself making any money in the foreseeable future. I am yeah. homeless. Yeah. And the thought's got to be in his head. At any moment, they can come take my son away from me. Yeah. Like, and it's just like, that's the that's lowest true. part of the whole movie. Him just sitting there crying his eyes out. It's like, oh my God, this poor man. Yeah. But then there's that. I'm going to add another part before I get to the last part. There's a scene in that movie that's real emotional, too, where uh, they just finished playing basketball and Will Smith delivers a speech about don't ever yeah. let anyone tell you that you can't do something. Right. You know, if you got a dream, you got to protect it. But that's yeah. the speech that hits home on. Oh, poor Asher. Yeah, he's all tired and cranky. Mm-mm-mm. Lord have mercy. But yeah, go ahead. But anyways, the last scene for me would be uh, at the end where he gets the job. Yeah, I was I'm watch I was watching that scene as you were t- as you bring it up. Yeah, the way they word it, just you know, he says, "Oh, I thought I'd wear a button up today." Just having some light humor with him, saying, "You know, because it's the last day of the interviews," and the boss yes. says, "Oh, well, thank you, Chris. I appreciate that, but um." Wear one tomorrow, okay? Because tomorrow's your first day if you want to work here. When he said that, bro, I about I had to pause the movie. Yeah. I'm like, oh, no. They're going to do this to me. Yeah. And Will Smith's acting, just being able to sit there and just like, he's got the, like, you see him holding back tears. Yeah. And then there's just this whole emotion. I'm going to get choked up talking about it. Him just running to go get his son because he had to drop his son off at a sketchy daycare the whole movie. And you like, dude, like, I just can't imagine. Yeah. That he's like, man, I don't want to drop my son off here, but I got no choice. Got no choice. I mean, and, and then to see him just run at the end, the first thing he does is he goes and grabs his son. And the first thing he does when he has more money is he buys his kid a new Captain America toy. Yeah. That part got me, too, because remember his son dropped his toy, and it was this whole sad thing. Right, right. And then at the end, his dad bought him a new one and said, oh, by the way, son, look what I found. Yeah. I was like, dang it, man. It's emotional, man. Like, that movie, I don't know, like, I don't even know if that's a guy. Like, that's a movie that makes men cry. Yeah. Like that You know why that is? I, I was talking to my dad about this, because we've watched that movie before. It don't make him cry because my dad's the kind of guy he has no emotions, um, <laughs> but um, you know he he says something that was very true. He said the reason this movie's emotional is because this is what men aspire to do. Right. He was saying you know the reason he was so sad is because he felt as if he failed to provide for his kid, and a man that can't provide that's a that's a very depressed man. Yeah. But the one who can provide, that's a very blessed man. That's facts. And the pursuit of happiness, you see both. And it's just that whole inspirational story of, you know, don't quit. Yeah. 
like, and, and watching him, like, you know, he kept getting knocked down. Life kept doing him dirty. You know, he kept getting robbed. He kept getting like cheated over, but he kept pursuing. And at the end of it, you know, there's that part you hear Will Smith narrating. This little part of my life is called happiness. Yeah. Like that, just, that ending gets me. Yeah. Like, it, it's hard for it not to. So yeah, n- number one, definitely for me, the, the pursuit of happiness. That's a great number one. And then it's it's one that I can relate to. Um, number one, this is pre what this is went back when Will Smith was Will Smith. You know what I'm saying? Back before the fall, before the Oscars slap. Um, this was Will Smith. And the performance he gave was I'm surprised he didn't win. I don't know who was in the Oscar category that year, but I'm shocked that he didn't win. Pending who was in well, that Oscar I'm category. Gonna, I'm gonna cut out for a second. I'm gonna look that up real quick. Yeah. And you keep talking for a second because I'm gonna cut out as I look this up real quick. Did you find it? The Pursuit of Happiness came out in 2006, so this will be the 2007 Oscars. Okay. Must have been some heavy hitters in that category that year. Had to be. What movies came out in 2007? I even wonder. Besides the obvious, I mean. Okay, so The Departed came out. Oh, but the best actor was Forrest Whitaker in The Last King of Scotland. I'll have to watch that. Yeah. Oh, this was the year that crazy Pan's Labyrinth movie came out. Yeah. That's a trippy movie. It's very trippy. Guillermo del Toro, he makes some weird stuff. Yeah. He's a he's an artist. Very I'm much. Not it. Guillermo's an artist. Like I just watched that new Pinocchio movie. Yeah. Ten out of ten, bro. It was that. That, good? that that's got to be the best animated movie I've seen in about a long time. Yeah. But yeah, that's my list, bro. This was a good one. Absolutely, bro. Absolutely, I can relate to pursuit of happiness being a working man myself and someone who's been through about five or six jobs. So, getting that call, hey. So feeling like no other. Yes, sir. Shout out to all the dads out there grinding and the moms. But that was just a special shout out from men to men. Absolutely. Shout out to them, man. But this was a good one, bro. Yes, sir. Absolutely, man. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to J House Podcast Radio. I'm your host, Eric Houston, with my co-host, Evan Elliott. And we will catch you guys later, man. Peace. Peace.